How will the Biden administration's 100-day plan impact unborn children and the pro-life movement? And how should pro-life individuals and families prepare to engage this year? We will answer these questions and lay out a battle plan for 2021. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in this week again. Happy New Year. Uh, I think we are going to be in for a whirlwind of pain this year, particularly in the womb, because we have elected the most pro-abortion political administration in American history, um, allegedly putting aside uh, any unexamined <clears throat> legal questions about the validity of the election. But of course, we're going to focus here on life and defending life and equipping you to engage to defend life as well. So I want to talk uh, this <laughs> sort of episode about what we're facing this year and what the Biden administration has signaled or out and out said they're going to do in their first 100 days to attack the preborn conscience rights and the pro-life movement. And then what all this means for us, uh, this is a dark time. Um, we are probably going to see more unborn children targeted and killed in the next four years, assuming we don't take back control of the House and or the Senate in two years, than we have in the history of this country. The Democratic Party is completely unrecognizable to that same party in the 1950s and 1960s. And they have gone full bore and embraced the same ideology that they did in the 1840s, 50s, and 60s, which is that not all humans are persons. And so, as I'm fond of saying, the Democratic Party once said that blacks are the property of plantation owners whose land they lived on. And now they say that babies are the property of their mothers whose bodies they live in. But as Frank Beckwith puts it well, where one is has no bearing on who one is. So we're going to talk about how the Biden administration's 100-day plan is going to harm our preborn brothers and sisters in the womb and make it increasingly difficult for pro-life individuals to engage politically to protect these children in the first place. So how much does the Democratic Party love abortion? Well, according to Alexander DeSanctis, writing at National Review on January 20th, the Biden inaugural committee actually solicited donations to sponsor 200,000 flags on the National Mall. And they did this to sort of symbolize the people who couldn't be there. So it wasn't to symbolize the people who died from COVID and couldn't be there. It was to symbolize the people who typically would attend the inauguration. But, you know, they said because of security and COVID concerns, it was a significantly decreased attendance. And so the donations that were accepted for these American flags as a way to sort of honor those who couldn't be there, um, actually went to fund uh, radical leftist Democrats and even Planned Parenthood. Now, many people didn't know this, of course, because you didn't read the fine print. But in the fine print, it was very clear that these donations would be split between uh, 100 Democratic and uh, politicians and progressive political action groups, including Planned Parenthood. <laughs> and that you'll even be automatically signed up for Planned Parenthood's email blasts on their newsletter list, all by you know, probably just being a person of good faith and wanting to help put some American flags on the National Mall to celebrate this country and its, you know, victories, supposedly in electing Joe Biden and honor those who couldn't be there. Um, so this is this is just sort of a sign of how much that party loves them some abortion. The second that they get political power again, they are using it to line the pockets of radical left Democrats and Planned Parenthood with cash, cash that was coming from Americans trying to do a nice thing for the inauguration. Alexandra DeSanctis puts this well. She says, this isn't terribly surprising considering that such a fundraising drive is being sponsored by the committee for an incoming administration that Planned Parenthood's executives are busy helping to staff. Of course, that's exactly right. Planned Parenthood through their National Abortion Rights Action League and Planned Parenthood approval ratings and the donations that they give to political candidates wield a lot of power in determining what kind of individuals get in what type of positions of political power within the administrative state. Now, this is ironic. It's just a point I want to make here. It's ironic that they are helping people sponsor a flag so we can honor the people who couldn't be at the inauguration due to public health concerns. That was sort of the reason, right? You can't have all these chairs and seating for all the people attending the inauguration because everyone will die from COVID and it'll be a super spreader, right? So they're saying we we can't do what we usually do. We have to go out of our way to protect the vulnerable, 
because of public health concerns for COVID, but also we're going to give the money that you donated to us towards the greatest endangerment of public health. Abortion. <laughs> Abortion is the greatest endangerment of public health because it actually murders people who should be treated as patients and be given health care. <laughs> Instead, we're killing a million babies in the womb every year, which disproportionately affects black babies and leaves women with many significant physical and or emotional uh, effects as well because abortion is unnatural. So it's natural that there will be um, underlying consequences from having someone forcibly dilate your cervix to kill your child or poisoning the lining of your uterus and your human baby so that you can finish college. So that's just highly ironic, but it's sort of par for the course for the party of abortion and infanticide. So what is Biden, the Biden administration's 100-day assault against babies look like? What have they signaled or what did they promise to do in their first 100 days, which tends to be indicative of the direction of a political administration and also tends to pack in the most that they will get done during their administration. So I, I want to address this to these, these whole life advocates in our midst, right? You're familiar with these people. I've addressed this before. People who say, I'm not pro-life or I am pro-life, but I'm actually more whole life because I want to be consistent. And so I need to support all different types of life issues, right? So the term pro-life ends up getting watered down to include supporting quality of life outside the womb for those that it's not legal to kill. But of course, being against abortion and being pro-life is significantly more important because you're protecting life in the womb that it is legal to kill. So whole life advocates maintain that we should actually vote for Democrats because even though they're personally pro-life, those Democrats will address a broader range of life issues. And within that range, they lump in things like universal health care, universal basic income, perhaps immediate amnesty to all the illegal immigrants in our country et cetera, et cetera. Federal entitlement programs to improve quality of life outside the womb. So they believe that human babies are an acceptable sacrifice on the altar of their quality of life outside the womb. It's a miscarriage of justice um, by any definition. So these whole life advocates are the, are the type of people who enabled the Biden administration to win in the first place because we had a whole bunch of evangelicals within American evangelicalism who would not vote at all or voted for Biden, abandoning the pre-born at the ballot box because they wanted to be a consistent life proponent and be whole life. Well, here is what these type of people enabled through their vote. The very people who claim to be on our side, on the side of the pre-born. Well, here is what you enabled through your vote. Documents leaked recently from the Glover Park Group exposed, uh, who is actually working with the Biden campaign, outlined exactly what his priorities are in early executive actions will be. And Live Action News does some good coverage of this, some of, sort of, some of sort of the first steps that Biden is promising and signaling that he will take within his first 100 days. So we're going to go through a few of these, and then I'm going to add one on to Live Action's piece on what to expect in the next 100 days, because I think it's an additional uh, important point that's increasingly dangerous for unborn children. So the first thing that Joe Biden has promised to do in his first 100 days is to reinstitute the Mexico City policy. Okay, now the Mexico City policy is what enabled federal dollars to be used to fund abortions overseas. So, so literally, your tax dollars were being used to fund abortions in different countries around the globe. I think at the tune of $100 million. So Live Action News reporting saying likely to be one of the first pro-abortion policy changes, Biden has promised to end the Mexico City policy. I'm sorry, the Mexico City policy keeping federal dollars from funding abortions overseas. President Ronald Reagan was the first to implement the policy, and it has been rescinded by every Democratic president and reinstituted by every Republican president since that time. So it's been an incredibly partisan issue. Every Democrat administration requiring your federal do federal dollars to fund abortions overseas and every Republican administration <clears throat> administration since Reagan keeping your federal dollars from funding abortions overseas. Live action continues and said the Trump administration, however, expanded the Mexico City policy in May of 2017 with the Protecting Life in Global Health Assistance Policy and allocated $8.8 million to international health programs that do not promote or commit abortions, including those for HIV and AIDS, maternal and child health, malaria, global health security, and family planning and reproductive health. And reproductive health in this sense actually meaning <laughs> reproductive health, not 
a euphemism for abortion. And rescinding the Mexico City policy saved our country, American taxpayers, $100 million by refusing to pay for abortions in other countries. So that's an incredibly good thing. We also know that additional tax funding of abortions overseas does lead to increased abortions. That's, there's been a study on that. That's just a common sense realization. If you give abortion rights groups lots and lots of money, they will be more effective in their goals and more babies will die because of it. <clears throat> okay, so what else has the Biden administration signaled that they're going to accomplish in the first 100 days for their agenda, which will be a terror to unborn children? The second thing that Joe Biden has signaled he will do is to overturn the Hyde Amendment. Now, the Hyde Amendment is something that Joe Biden has actually supported his entire political career. And I've talked to you about this before, right? The Hyde Amendment keeps federal dollars from funding abortions through Medicaid reimbursements, right? Because many families would kill their child through an abortion if they knew that they could get reimbursed after paying for it. Many families who obtain abortions are a little bit poorer. And so they actually won't get an abortion if they can't get reimbursed through Medicaid. So because of that, the Hyde Amendment has saved over 2 million babies since it was instituted in 1976. And this has been a rather, as opposed to the Mexico City policy, the Hyde Amendment has been a piece of incredible bipartisan legislation. Every uh, presidential administration has actually kept it in place and supported it across partisan lines. And uh, uh, this was initially released uh, in 1976 when it was included as a rider in a Health and Human Services Appropriations Bill. And that was thanks to Henry Hyde, who it is named after. If you want to learn more about how the Hyde Amendment has actually saved babies at the tune of almost 60000 a year, you can go to hellohyde.org. And it, it sort of explains all of that. Um, so this is sort of just a signal <clears throat> of how radically left the Democratic Party has become because Joe Biden... <clears throat> I think when he announced his run for president, publicly said that he could no longer support the Hyde Amendment because he knows how radically left the Democratic Party is and that he won't get the kind of political capital he needs to get into the White House if he continued to support the Hyde Amendment. According to a January 2020 Marist poll, so this month, I'm sorry, last year, a year ago, 60% of Americans oppose or strongly oppose taxpayer funding of abortion in the United States including 90% of Republicans, 55% of independents, and even 35% of Democrats. So that's a pretty sizable chunk of Democrats today who oppose taxpayer funding of abortion in the United States, giving you a signal of how this has been bipartisan for a long time. So Joe Biden has promised to overturn that immediately as well. The third thing he's promised to do in his first 100 days is to reinstitute the Title X family planning back to Planned Parenthood. Now, under the Trump administration, participants of the Title X family planning were required to separate their abortion business from their family planning services, both, both fiscally and physically. So that means that Planned Parenthood and abortion cl clinics couldn't have their family planning services happen in the same facility that they kill babies through abortion. Right. And, and that the actual money coming from the government to support them can't be sort of mixed and matched. It can't be used for the for alternative purposes. It has to go strictly for family planning or strictly for abortion. Well, Planned Parenthood, because they are an abortion organization, because that's who they are and what they do, they refused to separate their abortion business from their family planning services and therefore lost over $60 million of annual funding. And those funds were diverted to organizations that don't perform or refer to abortion. So this was a great win for the pro-life movement and for unborn children. And Biden has promised to restore all streams of federal funding to Planned Parenthood, starting with Title X family planning. Once again, this matters because organizations that murder innocent human beings should not be being funded by the public dole. In fact, they should be shut down for crimes against humanity. Okay, so the fourth thing that uh, live action includes here in their coverage of what Biden is planning to do and promising to do in his first 100 days is reinstitute the contraception mandate. Now, you might remember this because this was the whole debacle with the Little Sisters of the Poor lawsuit, right? So under Obama, the contraception mandate um, mandated that <clears throat> the contraception coverage in the Affordable Care Act required private insurance plans to cover the cost of birth control with no co-payments. Private health insurances, right, had to cover insurance plans to cover the cost of birth control. Well, the Trump administration enacted a policy that allowed employers to make religious and moral objections to the mandate. 
This decision was upheld by the Supreme Court in the case Little Sisters of the Poor versus Pennsylvania. Little Sisters of the Poor are a bunch of nuns, okay? Nuns take an oath to not get married and not have sex, meaning they would not want birth control. Secondly, Catholics are opposed to birth control in the first place. And that's not even getting into the debate over what kind of quote-unquote birth control could be abortifacients. That's just to say, period. Like even condoms and diaphragms, Catholics are opposed to using birth control. So the federal government was trying to force nuns to cover either abortion-inducing drugs and or non-abortifacient birth control measures for women who will never use them because they've taken an oath against using them. <laughs> That's how important it was for the federal government to protect their greatest sacrament, abortion, and force others to fund that sacrament. Now, some forms of birth control can be abortifacient, right? So there could be an actual moral problem here because, for example, emergency contraception, otherwise known as the morning after pill, can actually cause an early abortion if it fails to prevent you from getting pregnant. The birth control pill itself, right, or the pill, if fails, could lead to pregnancy. And then the medication in the pill could sometimes cause an early abortion, but we would never really know because these abortions would happen so early, you wouldn't be able to diagnose whether an early abortion had happened or not. So uh, this case, while one in the favor of the Little Sisters of the Poor at the Supreme Court level, um, will be immediately uh, ignored by the Biden administration in order to try to force Catholic nuns to fund birth control and abortion-inducing drugs again, hopefully with the Supreme Court placements that President Trump has put onto the highest court in the land. This will be ineffective, but they will try nonetheless. Just you wait. So those are the first four things. The last that I want to add to this to prepare you for what to look out for in the next 100 days of what the Biden administration is going to do to unborn children has to do with the abortion pill. Okay, and I want to give you a brief overview of this if you're a new listener to the show and hadn't listened to some of our past episodes where we addressed the abortion pill and the legal battles happening in 2020 over how the abortion pill can be prescribed and handed to women seeking the abortion pill. So the FDA has these risk evaluation and mitigation strategy safety requirements or REMS, their REMS requirements that they put onto the sale of the abortion pill. And so the REMS requirements have required that a woman seeking the abortion pill must get it over the counter after an in-person evaluation. So she can't just order it on Amazon or Walmart, okay? The, the RU486, like the abortion pill, you take it after you know you're pregnant, it's taken up through 10 weeks. And it's taken in two different regimens. The first regimen poisons your baby to death, starves them to death, cuts off all nutrients through the umbilical cord. And the second pill forces your uterus to have contractions so you dispel your dead baby in the toilet. That's the abortion pill. Women have never been able to get the abortion pill just ordering it online, right? They had to go into an in-person evaluation. The reason for that was to protect the women. So it was a bipartisan policy because it wasn't necessarily about protecting the preborn, though obviously the abortion pill should not be on the U.S. market because it's a deadly drug and kills babies. But the reason for these safety requirements was because if they weren't there, women's lives and health became more endangered. Here's what I mean by that. If a woman doesn't come in for an in-person evaluation before she gets the abortion pill, which includes an ultrasound, then you cannot diagnose if and when a woman has an ectopic pregnancy. An ectopic pregnancy is when the baby implants in the fallopian tube and not the uterus. If the baby implants in the fallopian tube and the baby starts to grow, which it will, the fallopian tube will eventually burst and mom and baby die. If a woman takes the abortion pill while she has an ectopic pregnancy, that can also lead to maternal death. Now, can you diagnose an ectopic pregnancy if she doesn't have to come in for an in-person evaluation and she can just order the abortion pill online and get it to her mailbox? No. So that's one reason why the in-person evaluation requirement was put in place. The second is because many women misdiagnose the gestational age of their pregnancy or their baby, of course, not to use euphemisms. The pill's only taken through 10 weeks. So what if a woman thinks that she's eight weeks, but she's really 12, right? My friend, Dr. Brent Bowles in OBGYN in Nashville, Tennessee, <clears throat> told me that in, at any during any course of time, if he looks at the bulk of all of his patients that he's currently seeing, roughly 30% of them were anywhere from one week to six weeks off of the gestational age of their baby, of what they thought. 
So if a, if a woman takes the abortion pill and she thinks she's nine weeks, but she's 12 or 13, that can actually lead to incomplete abortions because the baby's too big and developed for the to be properly killed with the abortion pill. Baby will probably still die. It leads to an incomplete abortion, meaning that she will likely have dead baby body parts floating around in her uterus, making her susceptible to sepsis and death. Huh. I think anyone should want to prevent that, even if you're pro-choice. This is why the FDA had these safety regulations in place, okay? Well, what happened during the 2020 year with the uh, political theater of the COVID-19 shutdowns? Well, abortion rights groups sued the FDA and argued that the FDA was was creating an undue burden for a woman to get an abortion. This is always the language they use, right, when they want to sue pro-life states for passing pro-life laws. They say, well, if this passes, it's going to create an undue burden. And the Planned Parenthood v. Casey decision in the early 90s said that you can't create an undue undue burden for a woman to get an abortion. So that's what they argued, right? And they said the undue burden was that you're forcing a woman to go outside during a pandemic. You're forcing her to go to a doctor's office with an appointment with one other person who is also wearing a mask, which I thought was a magically protective thing. Ooh, she's going to die and get COVID. That was their only argument, was that you're risking women's health who might get COVID by going to an appointment which is in place to take care of her health. (laughs) There you go. That's about the best legal arguments that the left has, okay? So a federal judge by the name of Theodore Huang, I believe, total pro-abortion hack, ends up requiring the FDA to temporarily suspend the enforcement of their risk evaluation mitigation strategy safety requirements, enabling women to get the abortion pill without an in-person evaluation, endangering their health for the reasons that I just went through. Okay, so that's the background of what's been happening. Well, there was good news recently. According to the SCOTUS blog uh, by Amy Howe on January 12th, so just recently, the Supreme Court granted a request from the FDA to reinstate the federal requirement that the abortion pill be picked up in person during or after an in-person evaluation. According to the SCOTUS blog, writing by Amy Howe, the Supreme Court's new order means that the FDA will once again be able to enforce the regulations requiring in-person visits. Now, wait, here's where it gets dangerous. Although its willingness to do so could change once the administration of President-elect Joe Biden takes over next week. Now he is the, um, I guess, duly elected president. Okay, so because the FDA is a federal branch, right, the Federal Drug Administration or Food and Drug Administration, but it's a federal branch, Biden is just going to pack it full of leftists who love abortion who will probably not enforce the risk evaluation mitigation strategy requirement because leftists will be screaming bloody murder at the Biden administration with a, with the most pro-abortion vice president in American history until they allow women to get telemedicine abortions and have it shipped to their mailbox. So that's what's waiting down the pipeline. So there was this great news at the Supreme Court saying that the FDA does have the authority to enforce their safety regulations, but that could all change with this new administration. She goes on and says, although Tuesday's ruling gives the FDA the green light to reinstate the in-person requirement immediately, the Biden administration could opt to waive the requirement either for the duration of the pandemic or more permanently. And the reason why this is particularly significant and increasingly dangerous for the unborn is because 90% of the annual abortions are performed in the first trimester, Okay, according to the Guttmacher Institute Planned Parenthood Statistical Research Branch. 90% of the annual abortions performed in the first 12 weeks, with 80% happening in the first 10 weeks. And remember, the abortion pill is taken through 10 weeks. So 80% of the murdered unborn children in America could be murdered exclusively by the abortion pill. That's a massive profit opportunity for the abortion industry. This would essentially digitize the abortion industry through telemedicine, making it nearly impossible for pro-lifers to picket or sidewalk counsel outside of abortion clinics because they've been digitized. A woman just jumps onto a FaceTime call with a physician somewhere in her state. He approves the abortion pill to be sent to her mailbox. How do you save those children who are on their way to death row? How do you do as Proverbs 24, 11 says, and hold back those staggering towards slaughter when the thing slaughtering them is coming in her mailbox and going straight into her mouth to kill her baby and dump her baby into the toilet? Do you see why this is so dangerous for unborn children? And this also proves why it's so important for Christians, for conservatives, for pro-lifers to engage politically, to become, yeah, I guess political hacks, if you want to label me that, because I'm willing to engage in the political work necessary to protect the pre-born, who will increasingly be targeted by a pill that a federal branch of the government can just green light shipping all around the country 
to your daughter's mailboxes into their dorm rooms. Increasingly sick and dangerous. So these are the first things that the Biden administration will attempt to accomplish in the first 100 days. Take it to the bank and look out for it because this is all coming down the pipeline very soon. But take heart, be of good faith, okay? I know it's discouraging and tragic. With so many successes in the last four years, we're now losing the chance of four more years of pro-life accomplishments, of more Supreme Court appointments, of more federal court appointments, and of defunding Planned Parenthood. All of these accomplishments and hopes are deteriorating with a political administration that is more harsh and opposed to pro-lifers than any that we've ever seen before. But don't lose heart. Take heart. Because in this world, we will have trouble, as Christ tells us. But he has overcome the world. And we are not of this world, but we are aliens in this land for our citizenship is in heaven. And so we are called to seek the good of the city while we are here as aliens, as foreign aliens, seeking the good of the city that Christ has put us in exile in. And so take heart. Continue to engage Continue to listen to the show and continue to equip yourself to engage at such a propitious and important moment. You know, this this month marks 48 years of legalized abortion. That is both horrific and can feel discouraging. But remember, the abolitionist and civil rights struggle to achieve full equality before the law for black Americans was a long, long long struggle. <laughs> and most of you listening to the show were probably born after abortion was legalized. And even we can feel discouraged at the political setbacks after so many accomplishments. But the abolitionist movement came fully onto the scene around 1830. Think about that, right? This country was began in 1776, at least as a, as a legitimate form of government. And the abolitionist movement came onto the scene around 1830, with slavery being abolished in 1865, but only achieving full equality in the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That's 134 years, 134 years from the genesis of the abolitionist movement until blacks had their natural rights respected and protected, full equality before the law. We are not anywhere near that, right? 134 years compared to 48 years. Unfortunately, of course, abortion has killed far more innocent human beings, far more black human beings, period, than slavery ever did. But take heart. Don't lose heart. Continue to engage. The fight is well worth engaging in. And we know that it's one that deserves our attention and it's no, and it's one that we know as people of faith will be rewarded for advocating in. So we're going to get to the pro-life battle plan for 2021 next. And I want to give you some steps and encouragement of what you can do as an individual and in your family and in your faith community to defend life this year. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the pro-life movement and the abortion wars, then consider becoming a patron of the show. You know, there's a little bit of censorship going on in case you hadn't heard, kind of uh, the duly elected sitting president of the United United States of America being censored and banned from Twitter while he was still the president. If they'll do it to him, they'll do it to you. We know that pro-life groups like Live Action have been censored for years. And so if you want to support pro-life information and pro-life ideas in the new public square, which is the internet, which is social media to change minds, change hearts, and save lives and fight for the soul of this country, then consider supporting this show. Go to patreon.com forward slash unaborted and check out our really fun tiers and perks on there. There's nine different tiers. Each tier gets you a little bit more exclusive access or content or perks that you'll get. And we're going to roll out some new perks on there soon as well. So take a look at that. Support the show. We really appreciate it. And we'll be right back with a whole lot more. So the future may look bleak, but we are not those who have no hope. We are not like those with no hope, for we understand that hope springs eternal because it comes from the creator of the universe who made us and put us here for a purpose. And it would behoove us to engage in that purpose and to protect life and proclaim the gospel while we are here. So what would a 2021 pro-life battle plan look like? <laughs> what would it look like for us to engage in this moment when we have zero political support, uh, at least at the federal level, of course, and not even at some state levels. If uh, you live in California, my home state, or another far left state that is increasingly dangerous for the preborn, what does it look like to engage in this battle? Or I, I have four steps for you that I want to encourage you with um, in a time that's going to be very difficult for people of faith. Um, this administration is going to endanger far more than unborn children. They're going to endanger religious liberty. They're going to endanger children who they insist must be 
removed from the home if they identify as the other gender and their parents don't affirm them. And that you should probably pay for their chemically castrating drugs and the removal of their genitalia so that they can feel like the gender that they think they are, but they're confused. I mean, I mean, this administration is going to be extremely dangerous to everything that we care about, to the building blocks of society, to natural rights itself that these politicians swore that they would protect and uphold. So in increasingly hostile times with a hostile political administration, what will it look like to engage in this battle? Well, firstly, always speak up and speak truth. I know it sounds simple, but always speak up and speak truth. It's hard to always speak up, right? But it's easy to stay quiet. And too many times we do stay quiet. Perhaps you have sort of a hostile community that you're involved in. Could be your work community, right? Could even be your community of faith. My goodness. I went to a quote unquote Christian college in Santa Barbara that hires pro-abortion professors. And I was roasted and ripped up and down for my active pro-life voice. (laughs) And that was supposed to be a community of faith. Uh, Maybe it's in your own family. I don't know. But maybe it's in a hostile environment and you need to speak up and speak truth because the left is so loud in yelling and articulating what they believe at every opportunity that they can. They are relentless. Will we be relentless with the truth? The only thing being worth being relentless with? I hope so. Now, I think there are three reasons why people don't speak up and make their voice heard on sort of like divisive issues like abortion. I think there's three reasons. I think it's a fear of being disliked. There's a fear of not knowing what to say, and there's a fear of persecution. Fear of being disliked, a fear of not knowing what to say, and a fear of persecution. I just kind of want to walk you through each of these, maybe for yourself, but maybe for someone else. Maybe you're super bold and you always speak up. And uh, maybe this will help you encourage others to speak up as well. Many times we don't speak up because we do not want to be disliked. The problem with this is that if your primary friend group and community is pro-abortion, and you don't want to be disliked, then find a new community, right? If there's that many people you're afraid of disliking you, if you articulate a pro-life voice, maybe it's because you have too many pro-abortion friends. If there's that many people that would cause you emotional trauma or discomfort um, through them not liking you. If some people won't like you and will speak ill of you, then who cares if that's not your primary informative community? Does that make sense? So if your primary informative community of friends are those who love life and defend life, then the negative voices in your life won't mean as much, will they? Because you have a grounded community of friends and families who will encourage you. And you'll be encouraged and supported by those who do support life. But listen, being disliked, being spoken ill of, having nasty things said about you is sort of par for the course now, if you're going to stand for life and liberty, you got to be willing to carry that cross and bear that burden. And our Savior tells us that. Jesus tells us in Luke's gospel, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. (laughs) Yikes. Yeah, I don't want to be in that camp. Okay, I don't want to be a false prophet because everyone likes me because I don't ever call out inconvenient truths. And Christ says later in John's gospel that if the world hates you, understand that it hated me first. If you were of the world, it would love you as its own. Instead, the world hates you because you were not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Okay, so persecution is a guarantee, but Christ says, take heart for I have overcome the world. I love what Churchill says on this. He says, you have enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something in your life. (laughs) Now, that's not always a litmus test, right? The left thinks that they're standing up for something, and that's why conservatives hate them. Uh, And so, obviously, this is where you determine standards, moral standards, and what is truly right and wrong. But if you're standing up for righteousness and for truth, and you're being persecuted, good, good. It means that you're doing something worthwhile. So don't fear being disliked. Find people, do life with people, befriend people who stand with you and hold your same values so that the negative voices won't be ultimate. And then there's a fear of not knowing what to say, right? And I think this is true for a lot of people. Maybe the why, this is why you're listening to this show. You're afraid of not knowing what to say on your college campus amongst your friends when people hurl pro-abortion bigotry at you. Well, first, I, I don't ever want you to use that as an excuse to not speak up. Never wait until you feel like you know everything before you speak up, because you'll never know everything. Just begin speaking up and engaging, right? Practice makes perfect. As you begin to make that a routine, 
to speak up, to call lies lies, to advocate for the truth, you'll become more confident in doing so. And it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to not always have the answer. That's totally fine. I sometimes still forget the right answer or I don't remember it or I'm not sure what to say. Admit that and then go find the answer. But get equipped, okay? Don't make it an excuse to not speak up because you don't feel equipped. Dive into pro-life books. Listen to every episode of this podcast, right? Watch pro-life talks. Watch pro-life debates between the top philosophers advocating for each position. And if you want to get more sort of exclusive training from me, you can actually become a patron of Unaborted, as I talked about in the break. But if you sign up at $35 a month or more, you'll actually get access to our monthly video chat small group where you can chat with me, ask me questions. We kind of all hang out, talk about whatever you want, okay? So that's more sort of direct access to get equipped and engaged as well. And I believe if you sign up at $50 a month, I'll actually do a one-on-one training with you for an hour um, to give you sort of the mental philosophical scaffolding you need to become a pro-life ninja, okay? So there's a fear of being disliked. There's a fear of not knowing what to say. And then there's a fear of persecution. And, you know, this is becoming increasingly true today, isn't it? (laughs) Where cancel culture is a real thing. People's lives have been ruined and their livelihoods because of cancel culture, because they articulated their beliefs, uh, something that uh, the majority of the people that they worked with didn't like, right? It could could be pro-life. It could be, gosh, it could be being a fiscal conservative today. It could be calling men, men, and women, women. It could be saying that it's wrong to pump minors full of chemically castrating drugs. Whatever it is, you might get canceled. And this is very destructive on families and individuals. So there is an increased risk and fear of persecution today in America, more so than there's ever been before. But silence out of fear is exactly what the enemy of your souls and the pro-abortion movement wants, is you to be silent, because then there's no threat. They don't care that the reason you're silent is because you're afraid of the backlash of the persecution. They know that that threat is simmering there. That's why they love cancel culture, because it helps cancel and silence those that they don't like, because you're not a threat. Now, thankfully, persecution in America is nothing like persecution abroad. But if persecution is a price for standing for truth and against evil, then so be it, right? James tells us, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It makes you stronger, makes you stand the test to be able to engage and prove yourself faithful, right? Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, it makes you a badass, okay? <laughs> it makes you equipped to engage. So welcome persecution um, and, and know that it will make a better person out of you. It doesn't mean it will be fun. It's kind of the definition of persecution. It's not fun, but it will make you a better person, it makes you stronger, and also enables you to experience the presence of the Lord, to strengthen your inner being when you're at the end of your rope and you don't have anything left. It's humbling. You, you, you teach yourself that you're not all that. You can't simply own and win every battle, and you need to call on a higher power. And as persecution increases for Christians and conservatives in America, we need to support one another. <laughs> Emotionally and spiritually, yes, right, as friends, but also physically and fiscally, <laughs> physically and fiscally, money, right? As people are canceled for their beliefs, fired, attacked because of articulating beliefs that the left doesn't like, particularly in denying women their reproductive health care rights, then we need to support these individuals. Conservatives, pro-lifers, people of common sense in America need to reach out to people when this happens and offer them a job, right? Offer them contract work. Help them find a new job. Engage to help them because the left is going to get more and more nasty now that they have a political structure behind them that will back them and, of course, never attack them for attacking others who have a different ideological worldview. So it's very important for us to support one another so that if the persecution comes, it won't be as destructive as it would be when we're isolated. There is power in numbers. But listen, you need to speak up and you need to speak truth because truth matters. Truth matters a lot. And remaining silent while letting evil reign and win has real consequences for your soul. (laughs) It's not just purely utilitarian. Do you know what I mean? It's not just that you should speak truth because it yields good results, utilitarian. It's not just like speak truth so some people change their minds. Speak truth so that there's another voice to balance the madness of our country. Yes, that's all true. But there are actual consequences for your moral compass, for your soul in always remaining silent silent, in pursing your lips, staying quiet because you're afraid of being disliked 
or persecuted. Here's what I mean by this. Just as physical atrophy occurs through not using your muscles, moral atrophy occurs through not using your voice to speak truth, defend the good, and fight evil. Czesław Mislos, a Polish anti-communist dissident and author, wrote about this when describing how people that were ideologically opposed to communism pretended to be okay with it in order to stay out of trouble and not experience persecution, right? Communism was the name of the game at one time in Poland. And if you were a vocal dissident of that ideology, of that government, there could be real consequences for you, far more than conservatives speaking out in America. And Czesla Milos, Milos, if I'm saying it right, sort of explains how this metaphysical atrophy occurs when you remain silent over and over and over and over again against the forces of evil because you want to conform enough to not have consequences for advocating for the truth. And he called their strategy of silent dissent Ketman. Ketman is what he called their silent strategy of dissent. And that's what it is, right? If you never speak out against abortion and speak truth to lies, then you're a silent dissident. Ideologically, you disagree, but no one would know it because you never speak out. Ketman is this Persian word for practicing the appearance of Islamic orthodoxy and faith while inwardly dissenting, right? So going through all of the motions, everyone would think that you're just a Muslim practicing the Islamic faith, but oh, but inwardly, don't worry, inwardly, I disagree. Inwardly, I think different thoughts. And Rod Dreher, the author of Live Not By Lies, explains the problem with such silent dissent, or dare we call it cowardice. He says that having to be on all the time inevitably changes a person. An actor who inhabits his role around the clock eventually becomes the actor he plays, right? So if you just go through the motions or stay silent or look just like everyone else in order to conform in your appearance, in order to avoid persecution for ideological, uh, for not conforming to the ideological name, uh, sort of um, orthodoxy of the day, your your morality will actually rot. You will end up looking, not just looking, but becoming the people whose ideas you say you're opposed to. Rod Dreher goes on to say that Ketman is worse than hypocrisy because living by it all the time corrupts your character and ultimately everything in society right? Because if the good people are always silent, then the evil wins, right? All that it takes for evil to conquer is for good men to do nothing. But when good men who know they should speak out don't, ultimately society decays and corrupts as well. And the left understands this, don't they? That to win, their opponents must be silent or silenced. That's exactly their goal. For example, Joe Biden's recent calls for unity have been hilarious, haven't they? We need to unite. We need unity. We need healing. But this is not reflective of a real unity, is it? It obviously isn't. He's about to target nuns who don't want to pay for abortion-inducing drugs, (laughs) right? He's about to overturn all of Trump's pro-life accomplishments. Uh, People on his own staff have, have basically just insinuated that Republicans are the scum of the earth, but I guess I'll work with them to try to get something done, right? And Joe Biden is going to become an advocate of the Equal Rights Amendment, which is going to basically ruin religious freedom in the country. So so the unity he's calling for is not a reflection of real unity, but rather the pursuit of the absence of opposition. That's what unity means to the left. It's just no opposition. Well, how, how do you accomplish that? You silence your opponents, right? You scare them into silence. So on the outward appearance, they look just like you. But don't worry, they're silently dissenting in their thoughts that you can't see right? (laughs) That's the whole point. That's what they want. When we're silent, they win. And there could be no other issue for which silence is more deadly than abortion. So speak up and speak out. Do it all the time. Never let a lie slip by unnoticed or, or unrecognized or unaddressed. Call lies lies. Advocate for truth. The left is doing it all the time with what they think is truth. It's about time we begin doing it with the same sort of relentless passion. Secondly, if you're a person of faith, ask your church to be pro-life. Ask your church if they will give you their blessing to launch a pro-life ministry to end abortion in your community. And if they don't, leave that church. 
leave that church, tell everyone else who's there who is pro-life and cares about protecting the unborn to leave it as well. And tell them that the reason you're leaving is because you graciously asked for the opportunity to start a pro-life ministry there to end the slaughter of babies in the location where our Savior entered human history in, and the pastor said no. Don't tithe to churches who are silent on the genocide of baby image bearers. Or like Tim Keller say, oh, I'm pro-life, but I'm not going to tell people how to vote because that's wrong because we have liberty of conscience to vote however we want. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. And then send your pastor a video of abortion victim photography so he knows what he's allowing in his city as he says that he loves his neighbors. If they do allow you to launch a pro-life ministry, then I want you to do this. I want you to go to lovelife.org forward slash America, lovelife.org forward slash America. My friends at Love Life out of Charlotte, North Carolina, want to put a Christian witness outside every abortion clinic in the country, which would bankrupt the abortion industry. Because according to some studies and research by 40 Days for Life, for example, they found that former Planned Parenthood workers, after leaving the industry, tell them that the no-show rate for an abortion appointment can go as high as 75% when people are out there praying. Right? Because the abortion staff workers obviously know when people are out there praying. And so they're able to sort of correlate um, the percentage of no-shows for abortion appointments because of the people out there. Right? That tells you that there's a sense of shame still in the mind of a woman or man who's taking their child to a hitman to be murdered because they don't want to be seen by others going into the clinic. We could bankrupt the abortion industry and a Christian grassroots tidal wave could end abortion in America. Francis Schaeffer was right when he said that abortion is happening with the permission of the church. So ask your church to be pro-life, give you their blessing to start a pro-life ministry. Reach out to my friends at lovelife.org forward slash America. And guess what? They will do Zoom trainings with you. They will literally disciple and handhold you through the process of launching an active pro-life initiative from your church. Because I know it's a little bit of an overwhelming job description. Don't worry, we're standing with you, okay? So that's the second thing you should do in 2021. This is your pro-life battle plan, right? In the midst of a hostile political administration. Thirdly, help get local and congressional pro-life politicians elected, okay? Yes, Politics is downstream from culture. Yes, you must change the culture and you'll see those changes evidenced in your politics because your, poli your politicians are products of the culture. Yes, that's true. But sometimes it's a two-way street. Sometimes culture is downstream from politics. For example, was our culture ready for abolition in the 1860s? No, it wasn't. We had to fight a civil war over it. We were not ready for abolition. But it was important to put the political line in the sand to say this has to stop now. Because it's disgusting, evil, and immoral, and it calls into question the very premises of the republic, which is that all men are created equal. Well, that political lesson led to cultural reform as well, and I can give you more examples as well. So that's very important. We must engage in the political sphere. Get local and congressional pro-life politicians elected. Politicians with spines of steel, not fake, squishy pro-life fakes who pay lip service to the pro-life movement to get our vote and then don't do anything. So call your legislators and demand pro-life action. Susan B. Anthony List has a great resource on their website where you can see the pro-life scorecard of politicians, okay? So you can go to www.sba, that stands for Susan B. Anthony, sba-list.org forward slash scorecard. And you can search um, by politician and by your state or district. Also, donate to Republican candidates with a pro-life spine of steel. If you have the means, if you have the money, put your money where your mouth is. Mouth is. Understand that the way that you protect the pre-born is by making it illegal to kill them. And the way you make it illegal to kill them is by giving your consent to politicians to govern us who will, who will include the unborn and those that they believe that they represent and protect. Donate to pro-life Republicans. And uh, Susan B. Anthony and other groups will also release a pro-life voter guide uh, before each election. And you can find those pro-life voter guides fairly easily. I want you to remember the significance of taking the House and the Senate back in 2022, okay? Um, right now, the Senate is tied 50-50, making Kamala Harris the tie-breaking vote. Uh, yes, that is a terror to unborn children and should scare you as well. In the House, I believe we're anywhere from 8 to 12 seats uh, in the minority, uh, I think there's going to be a massive backlash to the radical leftist agenda of the Biden-Harris administration in two years. It's very important for us to gauge in that political sphere, to take the House and the Senate back, ideally, and to put that sort of check on power, the, uh, a political power that the left is very intent on abusing as they basically 
crap on the Constitution and rip it into shreds in order to reign in their leftist utopia. It's very important that we engage in that political sphere. The less been doing it for a long time, it's high time that Christians do as well and, and not make excuses that, oh, my witness, I'll harm my Christian witness if I engage in politics. Well, I'd rather have godly men and women engaged in politics who govern us than pagans who hate God and will target pro-lifers and Christians. The left is increasingly committed to political action and activism. Will Christians wake up in 2021 and begin contending in the political arena <laughs> now that their quote-unquote right to even gather and worship is being taken away? I certainly hope so. And lastly, support pro-life organizations and pro-life information, <laughs> pro-life information and content, right? There's a lot of censorship going on right now. Just wait. They're going to, they're already taking out the sort of the biggest influencers on the conservative side of the aisle, and they're going to continue working downstream, targeting smaller and smaller voices or those who are gaining attention online. Remember, social media allowed conservatives to get their messaging and voices out in a way that the mainstream media was not allowing them to because most of our mainstream media networks are leftist hacks, right? So they controlled the flow of information and the narrative around political events. Social media enabled conservatives to put out their content, to have their voice and have it go viral to reach Americans, the electorate, those who vote, those who determine the future of this country. The left doesn't like that. They only want singular voices who represent their ideology and worldview. And so voices who make persuasive cases for conservatism, and what's more conservative than conserving the life of individuals in a country built on life, um, are going to continue to be targeted. Now, if you listen to my show, if you follow me on social media, I don't even have 10,000 followers on Facebook, but they're going to continue coming for content and content producers who present a view of the world, right? Who present an alternative message that is persuasive to coming generations. And so you need to support pro-life organizations with your money and those people like me and live action and others who create content to break through that infrastructure to change hearts, change minds, and save lives. So if you want to support this show, again, I know I pitched it a lot, but this helps insulate ourselves. This helps us be able to create content. If we have to go to different platforms to be able to go to those platforms and be able to afford continue creating this content to reach young people if uh, if we are deplatformed or if our followers are just sort of seemingly dissipated. So go to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. Go to live action, support live action. They're the digital leader of the pro-life movement. Find people whose messages you believe are important in these culture wars, in these abortion wars, and support them. So those are my call to arms. That's my 2021 pro-life battle plan for you, uh, given everything that I just said the Biden administration is going to try to accomplish in just the first 100 days. And if we don't take back the House and or Senate, it's going to be four years of this madness and millions of more children will be murdered, in large part because of the silence of the church who won't stand who won't stand outside these abortion mills to end abortion. And I believe that if we end this and we turn from this as a country, it's quite possible that God will have mercy on this land and we will enjoy the fruits of liberty unlike we have in a long time once again. Because if you don't get the right to life right, you won't get any other rights right. A country that murders its own children will not forever prosper and succeed. God will not put his blessing on a country that murders a million of his image bearers every year in the womb. But if we can correct on this most most hotly contested and debased moral issues of all. I believe we will get so many other issues right as we get the moral hierarchy right and a recognition of where our rights come from, God himself. So thank you for tuning into the show. Thank you for listening. Buckle up. This is going to be a wild year. Tune into the show. We're going to keep you educated and equipped. Thank you so much and Godspeed. <laughs>